In a world where frying pans are also used as hats, there's only one man who can fry up those bacon at the, at the same time. <laughs> I am that man. Hi. <laughs> uh, welcome to Gilm. Oof. Two weeks in a row I messed that up. Welcome to Geek Film Critic, where we explore the best, worst, and most middle in the world of cinema. My name is Luke Jackson. I'm your host. I'm your best friend. And I'm your painkillers. Pop pop me left and right, baby. <laughs> uh, it's good to be here. Excited to, excited to be doing this again. I really love talking about movies, doing this podcast. And so, yeah. Life's good, baby. I'm feeling good. Uh, this week I, I figured I should probably do a film that's you know, come out in the last five years because I really haven't done anything modern. And, you know, there, I guess there are some things coming out, but there are movies that I've seen recently and I don't want to watch again yet. So I'm kind of just going back into the catalog and kind of checking out movies that I've missed or movies that I really love. But this week I decided to to pop in something from 2017. so a little more modern, still about four years old, but that's all right. So I, I, I decided that to watch Good Time. From 2017 by the by the Safdie brothers, the same dudes who did um, Uncut Gems last year, I believe, with Adam Sandler. This one is with uh, Robert Pattison as the star, and Benny Safdie is also in there as well. And also uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in there, and I can't remember his name, but he's the guy from Captain Phillips, the I'm the Captain now. He's in there as well, but uh, those are kind of the stars of this one. And um, it's an interesting movie, and the Safdie brothers... Are, I'm really excited to see what they do next. This was kind of their sophomore film. This was, I, I believe, their first film with the A24 Studios, and it was kind of their first one that 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 gained, gained some real tractions and led to them doing uh, Uncut Gems. Uncut Gems wouldn't have been possible without this movie, which kind of gave them some traction and and kind of and kind of brought them to the forefront. Um, but they they kind of approach movies in a very interesting way. They 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 try to create these really hyper-realistic settings, and they're very, very effective in doing so. And I, I guess I haven't seen I haven't seen their older kind of short films. I've seen one of their short films, but I haven't seen a lot of their older movies. I've only seen Uncut Gems, and this one are the only two features that I've seen from them. And they both kind of hit a lot of the same notes of creating this hyper-realistic society. They're both set in New York, and they both kind of have a lot of similar vibes. The main character, Connie who Robert Pattinson plays and this movie is very similar to Adam Sandler's character they have a lot of similar traits and so it, it, it hits a lot of the same notes if, if you liked Uncut Gems you're probably going to enjoy this one as well but some of the similar elements that the Safdie brothers really really love putting in their movies to kind of create this tension and create this realism is they use uh, their their camera style their cinematography is really interesting they really like their shaky handheld shots and a lot a lot a lot of close-ups there's in in the first six minutes of the film there's nothing but close-ups we get a very very brief medium shot before the uh, title card comes up but other than that we're, we're almost exclusively in close-ups through, through a lot of the film and there's also in the background there's these this throbbing pulsing electronic soundtrack that just adds to this tension and so and so right from the get-go this movie grabs you by the balls 
and it just throws you into this this setting this this fast-paced new york high stakes uh environment that that's you know it's disorienting and it's honestly it's kind of hard to deal with at times it kind of makes it difficult to to watch it gives you a headache it's stressful <laughs> and i'll get into a little bit some of the things that are harder to watch later because it it does it feels so uh it feels so realistic uh they also like their their sound design so impressive. They have these diegetic sounds, so sounds that come from the movie, like walking footsteps. And there's this one scene where uh, Connie Pattison's character is walking down the hall of a hospital, and he's chewing gum, and the gum chewing is in your ear, so loud, and it's horrible to listen to. It doesn't sound good, but it just adds to this environment that you're there. It doesn't it doesn't feel like we're watching a stylized movie, and it doesn't feel like a documentary. But it does feel like we're we're there. The camera isn't a character. It feels like we're we're watching this. It's it's really interesting. And another thing that the the Safdie brothers do super well, and I know that they did this with Uncut Gems as well, is their their casting is so interesting and their script writing. Um, they they usually cast you know one or two characters, one or two stars actors in the film, but then a lot of the extras and the smaller parts are played by real genuine people that they honestly just kind of meet on the street. Uh, one of the early scenes in Good Time is Robert Pattinson dealing with this bondsman. And you know I should probably get a little bit of a synopsis down to make more sense. So it, it follows Connie. He's kind of this scummy guy, and he, but he has this really deep, passionate love for his mentally handicapped brother Nick, who's played by Benny Safdie. And the movie kind of starts out by uh, Benny Safdie, Nick's character, is in the in this therapy session and connie breaks in and forcibly removes him and then they go to rob a bank the bank robbery is botched nick ends up in jail and ends up getting beat up in jail and not a great situation and then connie goes and tries to get him bailed out but he doesn't have enough money so he kind of goes on this adventure to try to find the bail money to get nick out of prison and it just kind of goes on this crazy, crazy, chaotic adventure as driven by this desire to get Connie out or Nick out of prison. But Connie is kind of shown as this not really a great dude. And he's kind of using and abusing everyone in his path to get his brother out of prison. But anyways, back to the casting. These side characters are often just guys that the Safdie brothers, the directors, find on the street. The bondsman and the bond scene where they're trying to break... Um, or not trying to break anyone out of prison. They're trying to uh, Nick. They're trying to raise the money to get Nick out of prison. And Robert Pattinson has some money, and they're trying to get the extra ten grand that he needs from his girlfriend, and it's not working. But the bondsman's a real bondsman. He's a real dude. He's a he works, and so he understands this environment, right? And so it adds this layer of realism. And the cops that are chasing uh, Nick and Connie through the first scene in the mall, real cops. So again, they understand the situation. And as well as, as this is shot, the, the Safdie brothers, they don't close off their sets a lot of times. You know, when it's, when it's in the street, they don't close it off. They don't close it off and have a ton of extras. They're just kind of letting Robert Pattinson do his thing. And he was in character and nobody recognized him, I guess, is kind of what the, the behind the scenes information that I've gathered kind of says that nobody really recognized like nobody nobody stopped robert pattison and he'd stay in character and but they would just shoot in the streets right and so it's not 
it's not a made-up environment. This film happens in our world. It takes place in our world where we could watch if we were there, right? The whole idea is that if you were walking past whatever scene on the street, you would think this is happening in real life. This isn't a movie. And so it's just so interesting that they shoot, that they uh, play with this realism. And it really, really adds to the um, feeling of the film. The last element that I'll talk about before I actually kind of get into some of what happens in the movie is the, the script, the writing. Only Patterson and uh, Benny Safdie, Nick's character, were given scripts that they were told to follow to kind of move the narrative along. All of the other characters were just given backstories of their character that they were playing and told to just kind of go with the situation. So Robert Patterson, who is in every single scene, would start the dialogue and then everyone else would kind of play with that and work in this situation. Which again adds this layer of realism and it has this element of the conversation not always going as planned as a, as a strictly scripted film would go. And so again, it's just this kind of really interesting thing to watch where it's it doesn't feel like you're watching a movie, right? It's shot on 35 millimeter film and so the film is grainy throughout and it, it honestly feels like a home movie sometimes. It's So it's really, really interesting experience. Um... And a couple things that I want to mention as well that really make this, that, that really add to the movie is one, Pattison's performance is incredible. Robert Pattison, I think, is honestly one of the best actors, one of the best mainstream actors in Hollywood today. He, The last few years, he's really shown through and he's so natural in this movie. He fits in so well in this world and each movement, each line is so incredibly genuine that you forget that you're watching Robert Pattinson you forget that you're watching Edward <laughs> from Twilight right it's just really really impressive how natural it is and uh, the I talked a little bit about the setting the setting is really amazing this New York City that doesn't feel Woody Allen stylized it doesn't feel like it's not real I, at one point at the beginning of the film after this botched bank robbery they, they run into a Domino's bathroom. And Domino's isn't stylized, right? They just, you don't, we don't really know what's a Domino's other than, like we have some, some background noise of somebody ordering a sandwich. And we have, you know, we see the Domino's logo and it's a Domino's bathroom. It looks like any, any bathroom that I've been in at Domino's. And it just feels real, right? It's so calculated to the point that it's not calculated that, it really feels like the Safdie brothers went into a Domino's that day, the directors, and said, hey, can we shoot a scene in this Domino's? And they said, yeah, absolutely. That's what it feels like, right? There's no props. There's no art decoration. It's just the way it is. And they work in the settings that they have. And so it's this really unique take on movies. I talked a little bit about the cinematography. And I wanted to highlight a couple moments that add again to this feeling of realism. Um there's at one point where uh, this character Ray is telling telling his backstory about how he uh, kind of got thrown in prison and how he got beat up and how he was tripping on acid is essentially a story. He's telling the story and he's in a car and he jumps out of the car. And this is another moment that I audibly gasped. Um, the shot is this, it's this slight high angle shot. So we're looking outside of the door of a car, looking down at the street, which is rushing by. And this character, Ray, 
jumps out of the car. He kind of leaps and he free falls for this moment. And the way that it's shot, like there's no cut. We just watch a guy jump out of this car from this angle. We don't see his face. We just see his back as he falls. And again, I gasped as he hit because it just sounds real. It just sounds different from other scenes I've seen of somebody jumping out of a car, right? Because he doesn't land well. It doesn't look good. It just looks painful. And so it's hard to watch. Uh, there's this other shot, and this one's a little more stylized, but at the same time, it feels real. We, we follow this character, Ray, and he's up in this kind of uh, higher level apartment suite, and he's out in the balcony, and he's watching, this is towards the end of the film, he's watching Robert Pattinson's character run away from the police. And we have this bird's eye view that follows Robert Pattinson's character, and he looks like a rat in a maze, right? He just looks like he's running as a rat, and these huge structures, which we would see at eyeline level look like tiny walls in a rat maze and it just kind of adds this distance to the moment to the climax of the film of where robert pattison gets arrested for robbing the bank and you know he he breaks this character ray out of the hospital at one point and so he's has that on his rap sheet and he steals a car and he does all of these things that are really horrible He's not a good guy, right? He beats up a security guard and breaks into his house. These sort of things. And so all of this kind of accumulate to him being arrested. And we don't, I don't feel bad for him. And I think this bird's eye shot of him being arrested is is part of that, right? It's purposeful. It's to say, yeah, this guy got what is coming to him. And again, the Safdie brothers explore that in Uncut Gems too. And so the whole thing comes together to give this this great tension where you feel like you're out of breath at the end of the movie. You know, there's there's really good tension. There's some lulls. Uh, there's some lulls throughout. There's some pacing issues. You know, again, it, it starts and for the first probably the first forty minutes, the first hour, brilliant pacing. You don't get a breath, and then it kind of lulls until the last ten minutes or so, and that lull kind of. I don't know, it took me out of the film a lot and I had some issues with it. But overall, the tension that is created in this film is just is just incredible. And um, at the end of the movie, kind of after the climax, we, we see Robert Pattinson's character go to jail and it ends with Benny Safdie's character, Nick, in the future. We don't know how far away in the future, but we know that we learn that Robert Pattinson's character, Connie, has pleaded guilty and he's in jail and... Nick has been let go. He has no guilt. And he's back with this therapist. And this therapist is putting him in this uh, group therapy class with what looks like it's kind of led by a social worker. And this class looks like it has a lot of people with maybe similar handicaps to um, Nick. And so it's kind of an environment that he can learn and grow in is what the point is, is that he's kind of going to be integrated into society with helpful mentors that aren't Connie and um, the therapist says to Nick he says you're going to have a good time and he kind of lets him go into this class and the whole movie explores this idea of love right Robert Pattinson's character every action no matter how horrible it is is driven in some way by love he's trying to get his brother out of prison because he loves him right he wants what's best for him even though it doesn't feel like that the way that he shows it is really odd 
But at the end of the day, it's all driven by love, right? He could have left his brother in prison and gone on doing whatever he wanted to, but he didn't. And so it's this like really conflicting feeling of you don't know if you should cheer for Connie. You don't know if you say, yeah, I want you to get your brother out of prison because he doesn't deserve to be in prison. And I don't want you to go to prison, I guess. But at the same time, you totally deserve to. And so we're kind of left with this question at the end. Uh, is Nick better off without Connie? You know, Connie did the right thing by pleading guilty. But now is is Benny going to be... Benny Safty's character, sorry. Is Nick going to be better off in this world of social work? Is he going to be happier? And I think Benny Safty's performance is also really impressive. And he kind of has this... He's not too sure if he's going to fit in this new world at the end. And that's kind of how we're left. It's just, well, is he going to be better off? And so it's it's just kind of this interesting thought of what, do, what would we do for love? You know, there is this love there. But at the end of the day, is sometimes is, are sometimes people better off without our love? Right? Does sometimes our love do more harm than good? And so it's this really interesting question that we're kind of left to, to think about after the film is done and the Safdie brothers really do a good job of and it was again similar in uncut gems in my limited experiences with their future films but they they show these unlikable men like adam sandler's character wasn't likable if you met that dude in real life you'd want to punch him in the face and it's the same with uh, robert pattison's character and both in uncut gems and in good times these characters get what's coming to them Right, they the karma comes back around and, and bites them in the ass. Like they, they get exactly what's coming to them. And so again, we're also left with this question because Connie did the right thing at the end. Is he a bad guy? Where are we supposed to cheer from him? For him? Do we want do we want him to succeed? And so I think it's a really interesting really interesting film. And it it prompts these really these really interesting questions about characters and about realism and about kind of the randomness of real life and about how life really isn't that stylized. You know, if you tried to rob a bank, you're probably going to get caught. The bank, the bank robbery scene's pretty unorganized, right? And everything that happens in the film is, as much as it's random, it's all just kind of adaption, right? We, we adapt to the situation we're in and we, we go with what we can. And so it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting take on kind of this bank robbing heist get prison break movie that deals with a lot of realism about if you tried this, this is probably what would happen and it probably wouldn't go very well. Um, stars, I think, are stupid. You know, star ratings are dumb. So I'm going to give this movie three out of five Sprite bottles filled with acid. And I, I recommend you go check this film out. It's on Netflix Probably for a good while, I think. I think the Safdie brothers have a deal with Netflix, so it's on. It's on Netflix. You can go check it out. Um, we're gonna go into a couple of reviews now that I found. Uh, the first is a half star review from Aaron M on Letterbox. Aaron M says, "According to IMDb, it was shot in 35 millimeter film, and if that's true, it's the worst looking 35 millimeter shot film I've ever seen. It looked awful. It was shot like someone told them the directors. Close up equals tension." And so I'm going to take a break from his review there before we hop back in. And I, I think that this close-up equals tension 
and this feeling of like it's not supposed to be pretty is exactly what the intent of the directors was. They weren't shooting for stylized and pretty. They weren't going for a romanticized story about a bank robber who's trying to take care of his own, right? We get we get this scummy dude who messes up and isn't pretty to look at. Isn't overly calculated, overly planned. He kind of rolls with the punches and does what he can, right? It's it's not it's 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 not supposed to be romanticized. And I, I agree with the close-up fact that he says close-up doesn't equal tension. And I don't think the Safety brothers think this, right? I think they add to tension throughout the beginning of the film, especially in that first hour where the close-ups really did for me give this feeling of we're not sure what's going to happen because we only have this close-up face, right? We're not given the background and it's shaky and it's, and it's fast-paced. And so it's hard to... It's hard to watch at times because it's close up. And as the tension kind of settles, which it might settle harder than it should when it does settle, uh, the close ups don't add to the tension, absolutely. But at the same time, the visual language throughout the film is consistent. The Safety brothers don't start with close up and then bail on it when the tension settles, right? They choose this to, to give a sense of realism, to give a sense that we're there, right? We don't see these full body shots, we see as if we're looking. And so I think this is the exact intent of the directors. Uh, I'm going to hop back into Aaron's review. Aaron says, the main character making out with a girl that looked 14 years old was weird. Am I supposed to care about him because he has a brother with a disability? If so, it didn't work. Goes off on weird tangents, odd dialogue, odd story choices, odd scenes, odd script in general. Feels like they shot a first draft or a treatment. I wrote this while watching the movie. Uh, and that's his that's his full review again he gives it a half star out of five um and i totally agree with the things that he's saying right i agree that the scene where uh, robert pattison makes out with a 16 year old girl the character's 16 the actor's not obviously but it's uncomfortable to watch i think weird is the wrong word it's uncomfortable again this is one of those moments that i audibly gasped i was like oh, oh what's happening it made me feel uncomfortable but it didn't come out of nowhere, and it furthered the narrative, right? It was on purpose. Connie is a user. He uses Crystal, this girl, to get him out of a situation, and then he abandons her the second he gets the chance. And as for Aaron's comment about weird tangents, odd dialogues, odd script, and it feeling like a first draft or treatment, this is exactly what the Safdie brothers were going for, right? They Nobody had the script other than Robert Pattison and, and Benny Safdie, Nick's character. Nobody else knew the script. So it's going to feel like a first draft and the dialogue is going to feel odd because it's supposed to be a real conversation. That's what it's supposed to feel like, right? Real conversation is more random and sporadic than we see in movies. So is the scenes that we get ourselves into, right? It's very, very often is our life not, does not go as planned, right? We can't plan the next moment. And this is what that movie feels like. We don't, we don't get this consistent, easygoing narrative we kind of are in one place and then suddenly we're in another place because that's what makes sense you know at one point they try to go back to the hospital but the cops are there and so they go to the white castle that's nearby because that's what you would do right i've i've had times where i'm trying to go somewhere and i can't so what do i do i go to the coffee shop that's nearby and sit down um it's just life is random and i think these emotions of making the audience feel uncomfortable and feel tense and feel stressed is on purpose, right? I don't think this is an accident, but does that make it a good movie? And so 
we'll talk about more more of this in a minute about this whole idea of if the emotions that a movie make you feel are bad does that make the movie bad or good so i'm going to talk about this after this next review uh this next is another half star review and it's from a letterboxd user named sebastian they say close up the movie at the end i had a headache you can try to sell this artistic element you can try to sell this as artistic element but you can't see crap if 90% of the movie is a close-up. The focus is shifting around like a cheap camera autofocus, and it's shot in handheld style. It's unwatchable. A group of eight people walked out of my local cinema. The story, a nightmare. Panic attack-like story where Robert Pattinson gets from bad situation to worse. Unfortunately, the only thing I have in mind while watching him burying his future is when he finally gets caught is when will he finally get caught? Sorry, poor wording from uh, Sebastian. He isn't a likable character and makes dumb decisions in unreal, in unrealistic scenarios. The soundtrack was ridiculous. And so that's his whole review. And it, it, it's so interesting reading a lot of these reviews because I totally agree with what they're saying. The situations, I don't know if I agree if they're unrealistic, but they're more unrealistic than I think a common movie of this type would be. But if anything, that accentuates the realism of it. Because, again, life doesn't go as planned. And I think that's what this movie is playing with. And the story, it is a panic attack story, right? If things get worse and worse, but you don't feel bad when Connie gets caught. And I thought the note of the soundtrack was ridiculous. I totally agreed. It was not my thing either. I wrote a note while I was watching that I hate the way this sounds, but it's so effective in making me feel stressed. And it works in the movie, but I don't like, I wouldn't listen to it on my, in my free time. And so all of these choices that Sebastian is complaining about completely close ups, not being able to see the background, being confused and disoriented, leaving with a headache, totally, totally understandable, but also totally intentional. So it's hard to fault a movie for succeeding at exactly what it was trying to do. But again, here comes this question of if a movie succeeds at making you feel an emotion, even if it's bad, does it make it a good movie? And I've had a lot of time, I've, I've thought about this kind of phenomenon of a movie making you feel bad or, or you not understanding, but that being what the movie is going for, if that makes it good. I remember I was watching the movie Raging Bull. It's a Martin Scorsese film with Robert De Niro uh, a couple, about a year and a half ago at my uh, at my apartment and uh i was watching with a roommate and one of one of his friends and there's a scene where de niro's character jake lamara is beating his wife and it's an uncomfortable scene it's hard to watch and the the my roommate's friend was over and she said how can you think this is a good movie <laughs> and you know i was kind of thinking i was like well it's making you feel uncomfortable right it's 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 evoking a powerful emotion and she was like yeah and so i said does that mean that wouldn't that make it a good movie and I think, you know, I think I was kind of being <laughs> a little bit of a douche in my, uh, in my trying to prove it wrong because I liked, I really liked the movie. But then I kind of had to eat those words when I watched David Lynch's Eraserhead, which is a really kind of abstract movie that's hard to watch. The sound is really hard to watch. The visuals are creepy and it makes me feel uncomfortable, right? And so at the end of the film, it, it made me powerfully feel emotions that I didn't like to feel but I felt them very powerfully so the movie succeeded at exactly what it was trying to do 
So does that make it a good movie, right? If it succeeds at making us feel something good or bad, does it make the movie good? And I think objectively, uh, if a film accomplishes and evokes its intended emotion, I think it's an objectively good movie. I think it's hard to argue that this movie is bad because it makes you feel emotion. You know, if, if, if it doesn't make you feel emotion and you find it boring, then yeah, it can be a bad movie. But I think it's hard to say that the movie's bad if it so powerfully makes you feel an emotion. Doesn't mean you have to like it, but it doesn't, it, you not liking it doesn't make a movie bad. And, you know, I don't fault these users for coming out with ratings that represent the way that they felt emotionally, but I think it's really interesting to fault a movie for accomplishing exactly what it was going for you know it it accomplished exactly what it set out to do and so i i I don't know i i'm fascinated with this idea of films and even like you could find the same things in literature and anything right if if a move if any piece of art makes you feel a bad feeling how do you objectively watch it right (laughs) how do you move past that and say and objectively understand the film and i think i think when we get to that point of watching a movie objectively we're able to better understand the art's meaning because we're we're moving past the emotions and i don't know if good time is the best example of of a movie that does this but i uh, so many of the reviews hit the same notes of certain scenes making them uncomfortable or them leaving tense or them leaving um confused or or bummed out and saying that it's bad for those reasons but that's exactly what the what the purpose of the film was, right? That's exactly what they were going for. Um, anyways, that's enough rambling for me. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed listening to me. Uh, think I'm smart for <laughs> for 20 minutes. Um, I really love doing this podcast. If you like what you're hearing, reach out to me. Let me know if there's a movie that you want to talk about. If there's a movie that you want to hear about. If there's a movie that you just think, hey, check this out. Let me know. You can follow me on Twitter at underscore underscore Luke Jackson, or you can shoot a hit, shoot me an email at luke.jackson at thegeekwave.com. Uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends. You know, it's I really love doing it. It's really fun to do, and I, I look forward to doing it each and every week. Um, yeah, but that's that's totally going to do it for me. Thank you for listening. I'm going to leave you, leave you with the very wise words of a letterbox user, 9volt, who says, Just my opinion? But it didn't look like anyone in this movie had a good time. Uh, Thanks for listening. For Geek Film Critic, I'm Luke Jackson.